0: Hi, everyone. My name is Dr. Greg Wells, and this is my podcast. I'm a scientist, a physiologist, an author, and I love exploring how to live a high-performance life. In my books, my presentations, and this podcast, I am doing my best to translate hard science and powerful experiences into actionable, effective life performance strategies. Using the latest research on the brain and the body, this podcast will show you simple but transformative strategies that boost mental and physical health advance careers and upgrade lives. I am committed to changing one life at a time for the better. I want to focus on health, happiness, and performance. And I call my mission, the billion person problem. And I don't kid myself that I'm going to reach a billion people, but that's the dream and the space where my passion, my expertise, and my practices all come together. My passion is to help people live healthier and more impactful lives. My expertise lies in the research that I both try to conduct and engage in for a living. And my practice is devoted to providing evidence-based insights and strategies that make it possible to achieve personal and professional success. And that is what this podcast is all about. I hope that you love the show and it makes a big difference in your life. Let me know what you think on Twitter at Dr. Greg Wells. And without any further delays, let's dive into this episode of the Dr. Greg Wells podcast. Hey, everyone, welcome back. Great to be with you. And thanks again for joining me for another show. I am beyond excited for today's podcast. I have been trying for about four years to get John Rady uh, on the show. And John is a clinical associate professor at Harvard Medical School. He has written nine books. The one that I have traditionally been most uh, interested in is Spark, A User's Guide to the Brain. And the reason for that is that it really dives deep into the science of exercise And the brain, and how we can use exercise to improve outcomes in situations like ADD, ADHD, addiction, depression, anxiety, stress, to improve learning and to improve outcomes in aging as well. And more recently, he's written a book called Go Wild, which is all about nature and community. And so, obviously, those are things that I'm interested in and have been exploring for a long time, and the ability to actually dive into that with the author and uh, uh, Harvard professor is just beyond uh, exciting for me. And so we had a great chat, long chat, deep dive, very technical, uh, but I think that you'll benefit tremendously from hearing about all of these from uh, Dr. Rady himself. So no further delays. Let's dive right into this deep exploration of Spark, The Revolutionary Science of Exercise and the Brain. Uh, well, I really appreciate you taking the time. I've read your books and been a fan for, for many years and um, do a lot of work in the same area that, you, that you're working in around exercise medicine, exercise for health, and it could not be more relevant in our world right now. So having you take your time to be on the show is tremendously appreciated. Thank you. Thank you very, very much.
1: Oh, sure. No, it's, uh, I do a lot of, uh, podcasts now and video casts and stuff. And it's, it's great that there seems to be a rebirth of interest in a very big way and, and spark and, uh, and go wild, but, uh, mainly in the, all to do with the principles of wellness and how much, how important it is for our physical and, mental health absolutely Um, yeah yeah
0: can you tell me how the idea for spark first came to you like how did that originate and and where did the the idea for that book come from and and how did that all happen
1: well i guess it 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 came from my inner it came from uh my past i was an athlete all my life uh really saw the benefits for myself um, but, uh, then when we got into, we got into ADHD back in the, I did in the early eighties when a marathoner came to me and said, uh, he's, he had, thinks he has a daughter on said ADHD. And he was, a a very esteemed, uh, professor at Harvard and at MIT, uh, both and had written books that I had in my library. And, uh, Uh, said that he had a a reason that he came was because I was talking about treating uh, adults with ADHD and that he wanted to come see me um, because he had uh, symptoms that were similar to ADHD. uh, And they came on when he had to stop marathoning because of a knee injury. And he had been in rehab for a few years, actually. And uh, uh, after he overcame his initial depression from not running uh, his eight 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 and a half miles a day, he uh, had all the stigmata of ADHD. So uh, I treated him, and we uh, then eventually got himself back to running and then uh, we stayed in Dutch for uh, many years actually uh, but that led me to one to a career in uh, ADD uh, then Ned Halliwell and I wrote Driven Distraction to Distraction 10 years later um, and that opened the whole world to uh, know about ADHD but or ADD back in those days and um, but i always in and now in, in our fourth book, we we always extol the benefits of exercise uh, for ADD, and uh, then we knew I knew as a psychiatrist knew that this was great for depression. There was uh, you know newspaper articles and and uh, people here at Harvard who were interested in uh, exercise for mood regulation, but nothing, no serious studies. And then, then there was this huge uh, breakthrough study that came out in the mid-90s about exercise and what it actually did to our brains to prevent it from uh, eroding, to prevent um, us getting uh, mild cognitive impairment and leading on to Alzheimer's disease. And we were beginning to worry about that and this great study came out about mice that were running and running wheels uh, and how much their brain grew, how uh, they got smarter. Uh, they had an elevation of BDNF, or brain-derived neurotrophic factor, which was something that this really identified in the 80s as, as brain fertilizer. And then we went on to... Learn a lot more about how exercise promoted brain health and, and, and our, our brain cells, making them ready to grow and change, which is how we learn anything, as well as we learned to, to, in 1999 that we humans are making new brain cells every day and that exercise was a great promoter of that. Um, And so I was following the literature all along and uh, was really excited about this and was talking about this in my various lectures that I was given all over. And uh, then came, I got acquainted with the the, the incredible work that was being done in Naperville, uh, District 203, uh, Education this educational district there in Naperville, where they were reporting that they uh, did BMIs on all 19,000 students in their school district, and uh, only 3% of them were overweight, and not one kid in their two big high schools was obese. And a big part of that was attributed to uh, having physical education every day, but physical education that had been flipped on its head and, and, and looked at uh, the main outcome was uh, their fitness, which was a big change away from sport and sports skills and all that. It was that, not that they ignored that, but they demanded their, their, their grades and everything was focused on fitness first. And so that was great and wonderful and uh but then as a caveat to that they had uh said that 99 percent of their kids uh, a few years before that had taken the tims test which is the international science and math test and they took it as a country now we take it every three years like all other countries to sort of rate how we're doing in the world on science and math and uh, two years ago now, we last took it in the US and we came in, I think 19th and 20th in science and math. Well, they took it as a country. Uh, you could do that and to see how well you place your school district places uh, to, to, various, to, to all the countries in the world. And so they Uh, did the Naperville school system did and they came in number one in the world in science and number six in math that was the uh, germ if you will that led me to uh, spark that led me to go visit to fall in love with the place that be amazed uh, and one wanted to tell the story and then along with the all the data that was starting to come out uh, after this study in 1995 from UC Irvine, uh, Dr. Carl Kotman did this, that mouth study, that those combination of things flipped me into writing about this uh, for everyone. Learning about it, uh, I read a thousand papers and uh, tried to distill it into readable English, um, and used uh, Eric Hagerman, my uh, ghostwriter, co-author. Really, he, uh, uh, he was an editor and a writer for Inside, Outside Magazine, and for other. Related areas, but knew nothing about the brain. So I had to teach him about how the brain worked and how exercise worked uh, as I was learning it, and we were learning it. And uh, spent a year and a half, two years, writing Spark, and uh, that led to uh, great and wonderful changes in uh, in my life uh, and has taken me all over the world um, and uh, uh, had some just amazing times to getting to know fairly well the president of Taiwan, the minister of education uh, in South Korea, many people in the ministry of education in China, um, in Japan. Um, and certainly all over the United States and Canada uh, knowing people having an effect on some of the policies but not enough uh, as we know physical education and physical activity is being sliced away at, at the school level here and uh, people aren't recognizing that the way to boost the student's ability to learn and remember and perform well is uh, preparing them with physical exercise is perhaps the best way to do that. It doesn't increase their learning per se. What it increases is it makes the s- student a better learner. So if in fact they're motivated, they can their brains can be filled more with information quicker, better, uh, as well as they will be more motivated. They will be less anxious. They will have less mood fluctuations. Um, and uh, it, all around, they will be happier, healthier, uh, attain a higher sense of well-being as people.
0: Yeah, so, I couldn't agree with you uh, more on all of that, for sure. I was wondering if you might be able to go a little bit deeper into anxiety and depression and the effect of exercise on mental health only because it's such a huge issue these days. And it's an issue in schools. It's an issue in businesses. What did you learn and what are you learning or what are you thinking around exercise and anxiety and depression and and mood?
1: Well, I think that, you know, we've we've known that uh, exercise is a treatment for a bad mood since Hippocrates wrote the first medical textbook, 300 years BC, he would recommend to people who came in with a bad mood to go for a walk. If they came back and they were still depressed, he would say, keep walking.
0: <laughs> uh,
1: and it uh, is a real phenomenon. Uh, and we've known about it. People talked about it for you know, many, many years um then the boston marathon happened when i was in the midst of that it happened in a big way in the 70s and 80s and then we also candace pert identified the endorphins in the early 70s and uh, we began to put the two together and measure our marathoners and found that they're endorphins levels were sky high and so everybody began to spout oh you're raising your endorphins if you exercise well you're raising a lot of stuff if you exercise and that's been the that's contained in in spark that it's not just the endorphins and uh, it, it's it's the dopamine and norepinephrine and serotonin and, and gaba and uh oxy oxytocin and uh, other hormones that help us feel good, feel better, as well as the endorphins. And then a a newcomer to the scene, newcomer meaning the last 20 years, has been the endocannabinoids, which is uh, our endorphins are our own morphine-like substances that we have in our bodies and in our brains. And when we exercise, we release a lot of this because we're damaging a lot of muscles, which causes a lot of endorphins to be released to block the pain to go, uh, so we can continue to move, exercise, or do stuff that we're not accustomed to doing. So we want to block the pain response as well as the endocannabinoids, which are our own Uh, marijuana-like substances that we have in our body and in our brains. And if you get a whole raft of these things working together, it's like taking a little bit of Prozac, a little bit of Ritalin, a little bit of morphine, a little bit of marijuana, and uh, also being in love a little bit. um, Because you get all those chemical changes in your brain Um, and so people feel 97% of people feel so much better after they exercise not just because they did it although that's an important quality but they've changed their chemistry now the same thing we're drilling down very deeply into this phenomenon Because we're learning about all the stuff that happens from our body up to our brain. All the constituents of the recovery and repair response from our bodies that release all kinds of good factors that have an effect on our brains. And a big one is IGF-1. IGF-1 we make when we're stressing our body why because it is it codes to bring uh to make more insulin receptors and uh, in the body and and it goes up to the brain not to make insulin receptors but it has a lot to do with our feeling good it's uh feeling playful uh it's called a ludic hormone by some or ludic meaning playful um and it goes up to our brain along with this BDNF and variety of other factors go up to our brain to to make it um more recently we've learned a lot about the effect of exercise on stress uh, we've known for in spark i wrote about how it helps to regulate our stress response by regulating uh, turning on the sympathetic nervous system which is the first part of the our 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 danger response team that we have that uh, the sympathetic nervous system turns up our heart rate turns up our breathing rate uh, constricts our blood vessels to get and uh, gets us uh, tenses our muscles all of that to begin to fight, flee, or freeze, and then eventually to turn on the other big system, which is the fight or flight response, that's saying, it's uh, very similar to a panic episode, but it is all directed at really putting the. Cortisol out there and the epinephrine out there, so or adrenaline release so that we can really get busy and fighting or fleeing or if you're an animal and freezing. So uh, all this uh, is regulated. The more fit you are, the harder it is to start the process and we've learned a, a little bit about how that happens, uh, and people are unpacking it all the time, and it's, it's just wonderful. As well, we're learning about mood regulation. Uh, almost every year, there's like a new factor, a new protein that it is key in the process of making us uh, undepressed. Then these uh, a lot of them come from the body what we're learning the body to help us feel better. So we get an in, it's almost we get an injection from uh, the moving body uh, that makes certain proteins and bits of stuff that go up to the brain to help regulate it and to help it remain undepressed or get it undepressed. Uh, so we're, in the case of anxiety, we the, when we're fit, when we're attaining a degree of uh, uh, exercising and pushing ourselves, uh, what we're doing is we're increasing the number of new brain cells that we make. And what we've learned uh, in the past three years is that a lot of those brain cells are in the in an area of the brain called the hippocampus, which has a lot to do with memory and learning. But it also is the director of uh, our fight or flight syndrome. And what we've learned is that these new cells that we're making in the hippocampus, a lot of them contain GABA. And GABA is good. GABA is our, the brain's major inhibitory neurotransmitter. It puts the brakes on. So The the idea is the metaphor, if you will, probably still at that level, but if we see something that is a threat or we think of something that is a threat to us, we then go into uh, protection mode and our uh, sympathetic nervous system turns on and then eventually the fight-or-flight system. Well, GABA puts the block helps to reduce our response to threats from the environment or from within ourselves. So we, because we make more GABA cells in our hippocampus, we are finding a way to make us less stress responsive.
0: That's so, really interesting. We're doing a study right now on stress reactivity in children post-cancer looking at CAMP and physical activity as a potential intervention. So GABA is potentially an area that we could we could look at that I wasn't actually considering. That's really, really interesting.
1: Yeah, no, they, it is a very big, uh, you look up Elizabeth Gould at Princeton. She should win the Nobel Prize for her early work. And she was the one along with a group of others in 1999 who showed that we are making new brain cells every day. And that exercise drives that process more than any other activity human activity and and she's her group came out with this study a couple of years ago now about the gaba percentage of new gaba cells in the hippocampus so um she's the one to really look into
0: that's great what about learning we know that you mentioned bdnf earlier and the of exercise on learning and helping children to learn better. And I'm sure that that goes throughout all ages. But given the importance of ec- learning in general, creativity, especially these days, what do we know about physical activity and learning?
1: Well, that's how it all started, really. That's what uh, the little mice that were running and running wheels and seeing their brains grow and weigh more and get more connected. They, they were about 50% better on test scores when they began. Then when they began the running uh, after seven days or so, their test scores went up just as we see in our kids. Test scores go up when they're fitter, just as we saw with the kids at Naperville as 19,000 strong uh, as an example very fit kids who, oh by the way, they're pretty smart, and uh, they do pretty well on uh, these exams. And this is why one of the big areas that FARC has uh, received very greatly is in Asia, where they pay attention to science. Uh, they uh, believe science, if you will. Uh, and seeing uh, uh, this uh, as, as something to promote, that this is a way to get their kids smarter, quicker, better students, uh, better learners, at the same time reducing stress, reducing their anxiety, and oh, by the way, maybe helping them deal with their own obesity crisis, which is puts them number two in the world behind us um, in terms of uh, the number of obese kids and, and uh, uh, because there's so many kids to look at. But, uh, but still, it's a big problem. And uh, so what we know, we know a lot about learning. We learned about in, in my book and take you into the real learning process at the cellular level as to what really happens. And what really happens is our cells have to grow the information. They have to change their structure. They grow more neurotransmitters. They grow more enzymes that make these little bits of stuff that communicate from one brain cell to the next. And they make more receptors. So on the other side of the synapse, which is a split between the one cell and another, uh, that that gets better, that gets more complicated, that gets more ready to uh, hold the information, if you will. Uh, we used to call it engram that you would put uh, into the cell would. Get branded with the information. Well, in some sense, what you do is you you change the the whole information pattern. Sorry about that. By changing the uh, the structure of the brain uh, by you know growing the connectors bigger and uh, and exercise promotes the best environment for this to happen. There's BDNF and there's a whole slew of other reasons that help keep ourselves growing. And one of the first things we, we what, what, what promoted so much interest in exercise and, and especially in preventing the onset of Alzheimer's disease is that we know if you're not using your brain, you're losing it because it will erode. So uh, an exercise, uh, in, in my book I talk a lot about how exercise really uh, promoted our, our big brains to grow because we needed to have more information handled so that we could be the best movers. So eventually a lot, a big portion of our brain is devoted to moving all through the brain from the cerebellum which is at the base of the brain all the way to the frontal cortex these are cells that have we added on to be better movers and eventually our big big frontal cortex right behind your foreheads grew big as we added more cells to help us move better move more precisely more predictive more uh the consequence evaluative more directed more attentive to whatever the the movement needed to be and eventually when we got words and language and bigger social groups this drove the moving part of the brain to become our thinking part of the brain so that when we move we are activating and charging up our machinery that we use to learn with, that we use to take in information.
0: Amazing. so fascinated by that because there's been research studies that show that you can actually improve students' GPAs by increasing the amount of physical activity done. And there was a study done in the UK that showed that for every 15 minutes of physical activity that was added to the day, GPAs went up a quarter grade point, up to a maximum of an hour and one full grade point. So the fact that we can actually improve academic performance without teaching more mathematics or more science or more language is really, really cool and quite exciting. And that kind of leads me into the next area that I'd love to explore, which is much as we are interested in learning in schools, I'm also really curious about how we can protect the brain as we age. And you've explore that as well. And if you have any insights on healthy aging and brain function and prevention of Alzheimer's, that's also a fascinating area I'd love to hear more about.
1: Yeah, well, I've I've spent a lot of time at aging conferences speaking, talking, and learning um, about aging because the the big bolus of new studies coming out of the mid-90s after this one study, I mean, the whole point of this neuroscientist looking at the brain of these mice that were running in the running wheel was to see how and what happened Well what because he was coming from the perspective of preventing alzheimer's disease so this it was a supercharger that got everybody interested in exercise as a way of affecting the brain to preserve it so this is why we glorified BDNF. We, all the drug companies were trying to make it and trying to make whatever drugs they could think of uh, to try and stimulate more BDNF. But what, they, what we soon learned is that there was nothing stronger to make more BDNF than brain activity, than brain cell activity. And what we've learned in the past 10 years is that the that an active stimulated cell will release BDNF, so you increase the concentration. But this sends a feedback loop back to the cell that released the BDNF to make more of it. So it's a feedback loop that makes more of this stuff that if we look as, at as brain fertilizer. And this is uh, something that we know works uh, to preserve our brain cells. It works against directly against cortisol. It's a battle, if you will, a uh, slide where PDNF and cortisol are fighting. I have in my kit, you know it's it's uh, uh, it's a wrestling match uh, so that it helps to decrease the effect of stress hormone on uh, the brain and its, its uh, uh, eroding issues that it eventually will drive. And so uh, all of this then leads to uh, a, a better outcome. So you see all this these anti-aging people have all kinds of protocols, uh, but it's mainly protocols that include at the top is exercise, is movement, and then and then also very very important is diet, sleep, and in and go wild. I talk about all these things and and being in the moment. And the biggest new piece of news in this whole arena. Is, is how important being connected is. And by that, I don't mean being in a video game with people all over the world, but being connected with another person, spending time with them. Uh, I'm sure there's part of the eSports and all that, that grab that, but it, it's so important uh, as we age to stay involved with others. Uh, not and, and, and be as involved as you can be because this is what drives our, our brain health. Uh, and we have data showing not only the brain health but physical health that everything is way, way better if we remain or get connected.
0: John, so, can you explore that a little bit more just because I've been hearing so much about the effect of connection and community and its effect upon lifespan and mental health. And I haven't had a chance to interview anyone on it. And I'm psyched that it came up because it's clearly important. And I've sort of latched onto a little little bit through Dan Buettner's work in the blue zones and data showing that people who are, have a closed community have a increased likelihood of making it to live to a hundred. Um, so since you brought it up, I, I'd love to dig a little bit deeper into into community because it's something that is an issue in today's world we're more connected than we've ever been yet through our through our devices yet we're struggling with this sense of connection in uh our relationships so i I, i'd love your input on that in a little bit more detail
1: yeah no i'm working with a group out of stanford called the wider circle that is now working with many different uh, local and national insurance companies to work with people in their uh, on Medicare, Medicare B, uh, to help them get and stay more connected. Why? Because they have the data that shows that if you take uh, millions of people on Medicare B, the important factors are uh, exercise, ideal weight and being connected. And being connected is three times more important than even the glories of exercise or of having a, a reasonable weight. Uh, those are very important, but they're, they're three times more important is community, is being involved with others. Uh, and you're right, there's, but these are studies. We have data showing this and it's something that that uh we see with with with, and with exercise we i always say what's the best exercise well the best exercise is doing something with somebody or with a group outside so you're in nature which is also a key component of well-being and health and there's something that you enjoy and you have fun with so that you'll come back to it You won't look at it as labor. Uh, It's something that you're doing with someone, but the with someone really makes it sing. And this is why you're seeing this huge uptick in groups like CrossFit, in groups, the running groups, the biking groups, the Zumba groups, the yoga groups. You know, one of the great things that's happening is that uh, the young people and, and, and are doing yoga. Uh, you know, 8.7% of us, that's the latest stat, are going to do a yoga class this week.
0: Wow, I didn't know that. That's incredible.
1: Yes, and a lot of that is because they're part of a group. They have Thursday at 3 or Tuesday at 6 or whatever it is. They are... Or or four times a week they might be doing. I have patients that are doing that. Audio yoga four times a week. Bing. Why? Well, it's partly they, they it's obviously the way they feel afterwards, but then they're friendly with the people that they're practicing with. And the same thing is happening with, with all these other, you know, Spartan race. Uh, I just spoke at Harvard Medical School and one of the, medical students was talking about going on, on her Spartan race over the weekend and what it was like, you know, and what is that about? Well, they have a whole team, the they Harvard medical school team that went to do the Spartan race, you know, I mean, geez, these are people that are so damn busy and yet they have the time to, I mean, they take the time to do this, which was superb. Um, so it's uh, it 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 really is infectious, and a big part of that is the team aspect, is the togetherness, uh, and 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 all. And you see that in CrossFit, you know, in Spades.
0: What so, about nature? You mentioned nature in passing, and it's been a a fascination of mine as the ideas of forest medicine have emerged and. Things like November Project are happening where people are exercising together outside in different locations around the world. What about nature and its effect on our mind, body health?
1: Yeah, no. Then, but you, I mean, it's, it's one of the big chapters in Go Wild and one of the the, the big areas of, of, uh, of interest today about how important nature is. To us because we're born needing nature we're born needing exercise we're born needing others we're born needing to be in the moment so the mindfulness of the moment uh we're we're born needing the right kind of diet and we're born needing sleep which is these are the factors of wellness and you see these anti-aging protocols you got to have all those Plus, then they put in all kinds of other stuff, you know, meditation to make you more mindful. And, and uh, sometimes in supplements that we've engineered out of our uh, food sources, you know, that we now know, like omega-3s and and, and the glories of uh, curcumin and, and, and all. I mean, and, and we're learning, why. you know, we know why uh we're, we're doing these things, but nature is something that, like you say, the forest. What you said wasn't the forest wasn't medicine. Sure the pre- yeah, forest medicine.
0: forest medicine. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, the, the Japanese call it forest bathing. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, where you send people who are sick with high blood pressure, with high sugar, with uh, heart disease, with all kinds of stress problems. And they send them out into the forest for weeks at a time to live out in the forest. That they have many of, a lot of forest space in Japan, but, and and they find that this is uh, reducing the blood pressure, reducing the stress, reducing the blood sugar. All those things happen just by connecting again with nature. Uh, and we know all kinds of studies now show that this really has a big effect. It's what E.O. Wilson here at Harvard called biophilia. We have a natural love of nature and we need it. And we're where nature deficit disorder was a big deal some years ago, uh, now uh, talking about many of our kids need nature. And that's for sure. They need nature, um, and they're not, you know. Now the devices sort of uh, capturing our, our our souls, if you will, our our uh, limbic system, the sort of riveted by these wonderful games and devices and possibilities and the world of information. We're addicted to that uh and and we stay with it, and we won't give it up, and that's a problem because then we we're not outside, we're not with others, and we're not moving nearly enough. so um, uh, that's a very big nature's a very big deal.
0: John, if we could craft a future for humanity that's different than the direction that we're going in, and you could architect what it could look like to really maximize human potential, to really enable us to reach our, our true abilities and take advantage of all of this knowledge that we have, but we aren't necessarily acting on. What would the future look like for you, for future generations and for humanity, if we thought about really doing things differently? What would that look like?
1: Well, a lot of it is a sort of a return to the past in a way and and i mean thinking about uh, sort of the evolution of a child uh i mean it, it, the big thing about life is is enjoying and listening to our genetic prescriptions and and a big part of that is moving and a big part of that is moving with others and we start as a child coming out of the womb, needing, expecting, wanting to play. And by play, I'm not talking about playing on a video game or on your phone. It's it's about moving in space with others, rolling around what we call rough-and-tumble play. This is what all mammals do with their brothers and sisters or their parents. They... Uh, they have to do this or their brains are smaller, they're dumber, and they're more aggressive and don't relate well to others as they grow. So so back to an emphasis on play uh, for our kids and on keeping that as part of our uh, active lives throughout living and, and really uh, being, I mean we have the capacity now to educate people as to what they should be eating and doing, and not just dependent on the food companies to tell us what to eat. Uh, but we should make use of what we need to, to eat and put that in to our diets more uh, than we we're, we're doing now. And to have uh, you know, more, uh then uh, learn about this stuff early on as to what makes us happy and healthy and better we're so driven by okay what well, are we gonna make of more money and and to have more things and uh you know the people with the most toys wins kind of phenomena uh have that be seen as as something that's not gonna to lead to happiness. And uh, uh, I teach a, a course, uh, I teach a, a day at the University of Pennsylvania every year in their positive psychology course uh, on, on physical activity and wellness, but their whole course is devoted to how can we begin to change society to have it be more positive. So there are people who are studying all this, learning about it, learning about uh, having developing grit in, in, in uh, ourselves, and having this positive engagement with life that it's, it's a growth look forward and not just staying static or, or being riddled with all of our many, many addictions that we have uh and now unfortunately starting with our digital addictions which is everywhere and it's so accessible and so so addicting and and uh, so somehow to to figure a way to marry this with the future to use our artificial intelligence so it's coming in here and to use it wisely rather than uh use it just for profit or for power which unfortunately i think that's where we're at right now um but uh to help make people allow people to have more time available to devote to things that make them feel better Uh, and it's one of the things you'll find I'm being asked to speak all over the place and hither and yon and south korea and china and the cia companies and uh to help with uh, bring wellness into their workplace uh, bring movement into their back into the workplace move and 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 certainly the sense of community to develop that uh so that it it really leads to not just better students and better workers, but better lives for people. And I think that's what we have to do.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And the two books, Spark and Go Wild, have been pretty influential. I've actually tried to get you, I've been working on getting you on the podcast for about four years. So it's pretty incredible to finally actually make this happen. I'm I'm honored and privileged. John, how can people get in touch with you or follow you online and learn more uh, about what you're up to and all of your ideas?
1: Well, the, the best, the best way to do that is I have a Facebook page. I think we also have a Twitter feed, but I I don't know. But anyway, I have a nonprofit that I've been working with for years and we've the, 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 uh, the big thing that we're doing is, is having a Facebook page that every morning, Uh, we have a woman who is really uh, tied into all the social networks uh, and social media. and She scans and gets a new article every morning she posts it that has to do with, usually with exercise and its effect on our moods or on addictions, on our brains, on preserving them, on improving test scores, on all the stuff that we're talking about. And she, you know, these are articles from Forbes and from Time Magazine or from the Washington Post or New York Times or Fox News or wherever it's from that, uh, that's, that's, that's celebrating a new finding or a new study, but putting it into uh understandable language that people can uh, learn about. Uh, we also she also posts uh information on uh, meditation as well, but it's mainly on on how the, this all affects the brain and then affects all of us.
0: Amazing. John, thank you good. so much. I so really good. appreciate it. Sorry, go ahead. Don't let me interrupt you. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. And the way to get the way to get to the death page is to friend me on John Rady, M.D. Uh, that's that's where that's I already have, I have a John Rady page, but it's John Rady, M.D. that uh, contains this daily uh, vision of, of what we're learning uh, that people can really get to.
0: Perfect, and you do have a Twitter feed because I know that's where I get all my info from you. On so, yeah,
1: I, I think she does both. Yeah, I'm sure she does. She she does both, but uh, I'm not I'm not Twitter aware. That's uh, probably good. Or Instagram aware. That's good. Trust so, me. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm a little behind. it. Obviously, no, not a little, a lot behind the times. So, you know, so more
0: time for thinking. <laughs> it's all good. Yeah. John, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. I really appreciate it. It makes a huge difference. Your work has certainly had an impact on me and many, many people that I know. So thanks for everything that you've done. Thanks for taking the time to be on our our show and on this podcast.
1: Okay, well, thanks. It was a nice, nice chance to meet.
0: All right, everyone. I hope that you enjoyed that uh, deep dive. Super technical. Lots of uh, terminology there that I hope um, was interesting for you, and obviously a ton of takeaways, especially in and around exercise, especially exercise when you're not necessarily feeling like exercising. That's in and around depression, anxiety, stress. And ultimately just making sure that it's part of our lives, but other cool takeaways are the power of doing it exercise with other people. Uh, The power of exercising in nature, the power of community to improve not just mental health, but also physical health as well. Pretty fascinating stuff and obviously incredible to get Dr. Rady on the show. So I'm really just very happy to have had that opportunity and to share that with you. Hopefully that was helpful. If it was, let me know on Twitter or Instagram at Dr. Greg Wells. If you can share the episode, that's super helpful. If you can subscribe on whatever podcast platform you listen to, that makes a huge difference for us as well. And as always, thank you for taking the time out of your very busy day to spend that with me and on listening to this podcast. So thanks so much. That's it for this week. Hope you're doing great and we'll talk to you again really, really soon.